Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Today, we continue a series on discussions about Latino fatherhood. Hoy me acompañan Rubén Rosario y Henry Guzman. Can you please introduce yourselves, um, uh, your name, your profession, where you grew up, and um, if you identify, how you identify as Latino, Chicano, Puerto Rican, etc. Rubén, you start. Okay, great. Uh, Rubén Rosario Rodriguez. I am a professor of theological studies at St. Louis University. Uh, it's a Jesuit Catholic university, but I am an ordained Presbyterian minister. So that's interesting. Um, I grew up in Puerto Rico, Panama, and then went to high school and college in Virginia in the South, which was very interesting. Um, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and before that in Columbus, Ohio. So I've spent more time in the Midwest than I did in, in Puerto Rico and Panama. So it's, it's a little disconcerting. Um, I am Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, uh, identify as Latino. How about you, Henry? So, yes, thank you, uh, Elena, for doing this. Uh, my name again is Henry Guzman. I was born Enrique Guzman on my birth certificate and came to the United States from Puerto Rico as a five-year-old. And my, when my father took to enroll me in school, they took my birth certificate and they scratched out Enrique and they wrote Henry back in, and that was in late forties. And so I have been Henry Guzman on all documents except my birth certificate. Mm -hmm. So I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm a product of a, a Latino family, Puerto, Puerto Rican family. I have been involved in uh, community events, uh, community functions, advocating for our Latino community, not only in Ohio, but across the nation on certain levels. Um, I started uh, working in the Latino community in Youngstown as director of Organización Civica y Cultural Hispanoamericana, which served the Latino community, a fast-growing Latino community at the time when the mills were thriving in Youngstown, Ohio. Since They have since closed, and there has been an out-migration of Latinos from the Youngstown area dispersing to other parts of Ohio. I then went to work for the, uh, for the uh, state government as director of state and local government commission under Governor Celeste. From then I became director of uh, liquor control for the state of Ohio. Um, I then left the state, went up to Cleveland and became director of public safety and public service. I was in charge of police, fire, EMS services. I then went back, came back to Columbus and was hired by the mayor, Mayor Coleman uh, to be uh, director of public service. Then Governor Strickland was elected and he appointed me as the first Latino cabinet member as head of the State Department of Public Safety. And I worked mm -hmm. in that position retiring in 09. Um, I was a, one of the founding members of the Ohio Latino Commission on Hispanic Affairs. Um, I served on the area, uh, the Region 5 uh, Commission on Civil Rights. Um, and I've been basically retired. Um, um, I have four, four grown children, 10 grandkids, um, which we adore uh, immensely. Um, and that's our story. It's our story of a, a Latino community, a Latino person who 
who got mentored by his father at an early age, who said, make sure you treat others like you want to be treated. Respect mm -hmm. for everyone. Help open doors whenever you can in whatever position. And don't forget where you came from. So regardless of where you are now. So, um, so this is great. Uh, sort of the introduction of where you have been sort of uh, living and the roles that you all have, um, you know, and, and held um, or where you have worked and served. Um, so I, I do have a question for you. What role models did you have in your life as a young boy or man? And Henry, I know you, you mentioned your dad. Um, so were there more, I mean, your father could be one, were there other role, male role models that were in your life as a young person? And Ruben, my, let's start with Yeah, um, you know, my, my parents are definitely the key role models. Um, church pastors growing up, Sunday school teachers. Um, but, but it was interesting, even uh, as we left Puerto Rico, went to Central America, um, my dad was U.S. military. And so all of my role models growing up fit kind of the same mold. Even, mm -hmm. even uh, my clergy models, my dad, one of his closest friends was a Lutheran chaplain. Um, <laughs> and so um, there was a certain image, uh, expectation. Um, to give you an idea, uh, at age four, uh, my uncle and my two older cousins uh, start teaching me how to box, right? Um, when 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 it was time to learn to swim, my dad's idea of learning to swim is is in my mind inseparable from his identity as, as a U.S. Army. Yeah, he took me to the beach in Dorado, about a mile from our house. Went out to till the surf was about waist high on him, and then just kind of threw me into the surf. You know, sink or swim. <laughs> It was terrifying. It was years before I learned to swim after that. Um, but but <laughs> we moved to Panama. Uh, my Latino role models were U.S. military guys, like my dad, right? And so they were muy machos. And, and in, ironically, my dad's nickname for me growing up was macho. And, and sometimes I thought he was mocking me. And then I realized, no, it was aspirational. He was exposing me to all these things that he hoped I would live up to. and and to the point that when I got to high school in Hampton Roads, Virginia, my dad uh, set up an interview with an admiral at Norfolk Naval Base because he wanted me to go to Annapolis, the Naval Academy. Needless to say, those were not my plans. And uh, the, the man interviewing me was the same kind of over-the-top machismo. And he says, you don't know... The, the, you're the measure of a man until you had to stare uh, down the barrel of a gun, you know, and, and this kind of, and, and I don't remember what I said, but needless to say, it got back to my dad. My dad was furious. Um, he had pulled a lot of strings to line up that interview. So in compromise, when I went to college, uh, State University, the College William and Mary in Virginia, I agreed to do ROTC. Army ROTC, but I refused to take the scholarship because if I accepted the scholarship, that would be a commission upon graduation. Mm -hmm. and I did not want to be in the army. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I should have known. My dad knew the, the the captain there on the campus who was also Latino. And so 
he knew everything that I was doing on the college campus. And, and in my sophomore year, I finally quit. I, I couldn't take it anymore. We were doing uh, combat training, hand-to-hand -hand combat. And, and in the military, it's not self-defense. You're not learning self-defense. The, the captain told us, um, you have a gun, we expect you to use it. But if you ever find yourself in a situation where you have to use hand-to-hand -hand combat, uh, the goal is to end it first. You're gonna teach you how to kill. And so I've always been a big guy. I was about 180 pounds. It was in the best shape of my life in ROTC. We we ran five miles a day, PT. Um, I had like 4% body fat. And so they matched me up with this little guy who was maybe 135 pounds. And they taught us about five basic judo moves. And the idea is if you were uh, fighting a smaller opponent, you would use your heavier weight to throw your weight into them while having your foot behind their ankle, tripping them, falling down with your elbow across their trachea, their windpipe, crushing it and effectively killing it. Um, mm -hmm. The smaller person was trained, which is why they matched a big guy with a little guy. The smaller person was trained to then use my body weight against me, pull me down on top of him. And as I'm falling, jab his fingers into my trachea so that then my body weight would crush my windpipe, ending mm -hmm. the fight. And then we, we were on gym mats at the gymnasium and we did this over and taking turns over and over every day at PT. And, and to the point that one day I realized, you know, if I sneeze at the wrong time, my elbow, instead of landing next to his neck, lands on his neck, I could kill this guy. Mm. Right. And that, that hit me. And so that's the day I quit. Um, I go home for one of the breaks. I hadn't told my parents. My parents already knew there was an army recruiter waiting for me at my parents' house. They wanted me to quit college. My dad wasn't going to pay for it um, and join the military because I, I quit ROTC. So that was kind of my role models. Um, it wasn't until my PhD work at Princeton Theological Seminary that I had a Latino professor. Mm -hmm. I went through four years of college, three years of seminary, and it wasn't until my first year of PhD work that I had a Latino professor and a different kind of role model. Mm -hmm. But after I quit OTC, my dad and I didn't talk for several years. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until 1995 when I got ordained a pastor there in central Ohio that he came to my ordination. And at my ordination in the receiving line, shook my hand, leaned into me and whispered, you're now in an army of a different kind. And then it was like magic. Everything had, so, so he understood, you know, uh, that I'm responsible, that I, ha you mm -hmm. know, I'm a leader, that, you know. Uh, so his concerns weren't that I had to do things the army way. His concerns were he didn't want me wasting my life and making dumb choices, right? He thought my, right, my undergraduate right. degree in philosophy and history were dumb choices, it wasn't until he saw that that led to being ordained as a pastor that suddenly it clicked. And then after that, our right. relationship was, was great. That's interesting, right? Because um, the role, the role models that we have, the way that they, you know, in, in terms of parents, for example, the way they parent is the way either they were parent or yeah. 
out of fear sometimes, right? They didn't want you to waste your life. So yeah. what he yeah. was the army, right? To sort of That's right. Um, make you make you a man or uh, a leader or somebody that was uh, productive, right? A productive member of society. Yeah. So how about you, Henry? Uh, who, what role models did you have growing up? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I had my dad, um, I remember going to school every day and I would leave school out of frustration because I couldn't speak the language. And my dad would just take me back to school. I would run home. He'd take me back to school. That went on for a while. Funny, I realized this isn't working. I might as well stay here because he's going to just bring me back to school. Okay. So, and then there was a teacher there. Uh, there. Her name was Olga Kregel and she was a Russian uh, immigrant. And it was still the kind of the Cold War going on in terms of of, of uh, what was going on. Russia was still this big enemy up out there, and and um, so she kind of kind of empathized with what I was going through as someone coming new to the U.S. and and I remember teachers pounding on my desk and saying, "You're in America now. Forget your language. You need to learn English. You'll never need Spanish again." You know that kind of thing, and my dad. Um, you know, when I would come home, he would read this newspaper with me called El Diario La Prensa out of New York. And he would sit down with me because he wanted to make sure that while I was learning um, English, he didn't want me to forget my Spanish language. And so to me, my dad was that early role model. And then the other role model was my my father-in-law, who was a community leader in the community. One of the first ones to arrive in Youngstown, my wife happens to be the first Puerto Rican baby born in Youngstown, Ohio. So it was through his um, advocacy in the community that I got involved also in working in the community. And later on, as was mentioned, um, or, or I haven't mentioned yet, uh, I was in the military. I was in Vietnam. I got wounded. I got shot, spent 11 months in a hospital. And so I had a lot of role models from that end, both in leadership, both in understanding that you're not an island, you depend on people around you to support you. So that was very important to me. So you learned, I learned to operate in large groups, small groups, and to lean on folks and folks to see me as a leader and, and, and have a responsibility. So I kind of learned all that from my military training. Um, so when I came back from the service, um, I felt that I could do more in the community than just, you know, hang out on a corner. Uh, mm -hmm. like a lot of my friends did when he came home from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So I decided to get an education, got my undergrad degree in uh, criminal justice and social work and, and did um, a master's work in Antioch Law School with a, a certificate in legal studies. And um, I, 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 I just felt that it was important to me mm -hmm. uh, to help folks. Samuel, Dr. Samuel Betances was another one that through my early working career, uh, he came to speak in Youngstown, Ohio, on education and the importance of education and the importance of reading, using books to take you out of poverty, to, to, to show you the world when you couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. So you use books to, to break bridges or to, to build bridges. Uh, uh, so that to me helped me out, those lessons from him uh, as an educator, as a, as a trainer, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you know Samuel Betances, Dr. Betances, but he's an excellent individual who's still out there doing his thing. Uh, yeah, so those were the folks that kind of helped steer me. And to be honest with you, 
even my wife, mm-hmm. I consider her a person because she was there with me through through the battles. You know, when I came back from Vietnam, um, getting married with her, and she kind of helped me along as I struggled with some of the stuff that was going on in my mind from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hung there with me, and she's still by my side as a strong individual. We just celebrated uh, uh, 52 years of marriage. Yes, so, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Henry, Henry, you you bring out an bring out an important um, point, right? That um, although having for for males, Latino men, it's important to have Latino role men, role models. Um, it doesn't always have to be men, right? Sometimes no. women come Absolutely. along to fill those roles, right, and to teach them how to how to be responsible, involved in their community, give back, et cetera, right? So so it doesn't have to be um, so gendered, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, right. Absolutely. My mother, my mother, while I didn't mention her as a role model, was another one. Uh, she was she was basically a home person. She was there when my father came home from work and had the meals. She never drove, okay? But all the time that I was in Vietnam, Um, she prayed to the Virgin Mary to make sure that I I was safe. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think her prayers were answered because I came back. Uh, She continued for a year after to wear this habit, uh, Mm -hmm. like a, like an Amanus monk or a monastery. Mm -hmm. Uh, She made promesas, if you will. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so she was a role model. She taught us respect at home to Mm -hmm. respect women. Okay. Um, And, Early on, she taught us that. He said, you know, make sure that you treat women with respect, okay? And um, don't, don't abuse them. Don't use them. Um, just make sure that you're your partners in life because right. they'll be there with you. So I learned those lessons. And we try to instill that to our daughters and our two boys. Um, and they have an excellent family uh, environment. With, and they're teaching those same lessons to their kids mm-hmm. you know elena it's it's interesting because you know i'm looking back on it with with the eyes of an adult but if you'd asked me these questions about my father growing mm-hmm. up you would have had very different answers and 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 it during my childhood it was my mother and 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 her mother uh, mami titi who um were the the kind of strong figures who yeah. were the role models and, and and I realize now as an adult it's because my dad's job required him to travel mm-hmm. he was traveling all over the place and and at, at an age where I was you know 15 16 I, I I really needed him there and he wasn't around I I know now my my dad was working with the Pentagon the Department of Defense and a section called the Training and Doctrine Command, TRADOC. My dad was implementing the, the Graham-Rudman bill that was passed in the 80s, which determined all of the base closings uh, that took place uh, as far as, as uh, uh, streamlining the, the military. Mm-hmm. And so he had to travel to all of these communities all over the U.S., and he had to do an analysis, the impact of closing the base uh, on the community, you know, and, and it was stressful. And my dad had a heart attack at that point. And he was away from home and we were terrified. 
Um, and so during those years, I realize now the sacrifices he was making for us, but at the time it was resentment and anger. In my mind, it was my mother alone who raised us, mm -hmm. right? And it took a long time before I realized my dad had an opportunity to have been promoted and have been working in the Pentagon. And he turned that down because we wanted to stay and finish high school in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Mm -hmm. My dad made a huge sacrifice to his own advancement in his own career for our sake. But the payoff was he then had to travel. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and we didn't see any of that. We didn't understand. We just resented him. We felt like, yeah, mm -hmm. he's our dad. Yeah, he pays the bills but we never see him. He's not at our soccer games. He's not at our band concerts. It's, it's mama who's there. Right. And so, so you're getting this refracted from now I'm a parent. Now I realize all those sacrifices he made, but at the time there was a huge level of resentment. And I, and I felt like he was forcing me to take his path, go into the army, do what I did. I, I realize now, like you pointed out, Elena, that, that he, he was concerned for me and this is what he knew and this is what, you know, but yeah. I mean, just like Latino parents, it's so funny to hear my students, you know, when they, or even um, other people like um, pr professional um, academics, right, that I've interviewed about, they're growing up and some of the things that they say, yeah, my parents wanted me to be a lawyer or a, a doctor. Yeah, and it's right. always, a, it sounds, it, it's kind of funny, right, that our Latino parents or the military, right? Um, those are the paths that they see as successful and they are successful paths, but they're not necessarily the only the path. Only one. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned law um, after he re after I was in seminary and he realized the army was was out. He, third year of seminary, I'm about to be ordained and the family Christmas letter that my mom sends out mentions and Ruben still has plans to go to law school. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> ironically um uh, after i got ordained the military kept uh recruiting me to be a chaplain and even as recently as as when i turned 50 a couple years ago i was getting recruiters calling me at my uh university office because there's such a shortage of of chaplains in the military that they would have commissioned me a captain at age 50 because they're so desperate for Wow, wow. Maybe, so so maybe, even though I my don't dad, know. I don't know, Ruben, maybe that there is something there for, for future. <laughs> my dad passed away in 2013 and that's still haunting me. Is right. <laughs> ironic? <laughs> right. So I do I have a question for both of you. I don't know if that's um you know, I, I think remembering things uh, can be like we 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 remember certain things and then we remember other things as the conversation goes along. But I wanted to ask if there is maybe one lesson or one moment as you were growing up that you felt had an impact on you as you became fathers. Like, what is that like, you know, that you hold dear? a lesson that you're like, okay, this is what it means for me to be now a father. And um, so I know Ruben, uh, sorry, um, Henry, you, so you both, you and your wife are Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican heritage. Ruben, um, you are Puerto Rican heritage, but your wife is um, not, right? No, she's Irish Catholic, mm -hmm. uh, born and um, bred in Virginia. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if you can recall that, um, you know, sort of that moment or that memory that sealed it for you 
when you became a father yourself? Well, you know, obviously when you first get married, you don't know, you know, too much about what's going to happen in the years ahead. And so you start, I think it's a partnership. Okay. Mm -hmm. You realize that marriage is a partnership and where you, where you have a weakness, your wife has a strength. Where you have a strength, your wife might, my wife might have a weakness. So I think we, 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 we joined this marriage as a marriage, as a union of partnership. Okay. Where we figured that out. We're going to work this through together. We're going to learn how to rear our children, but, but remember some key uh, messages that my dad ingrained on us. Okay. And my dad said to me, make sure you're responsible, that you have a strong work ethic, that you're providing for your family, that you're honest, you have your personal integrity. So all those values that my dad ingrained upon me helped me as I became a father and we started to rear our children and we try to pass that on to them. And then later on in life, when I became a director of a a state agencies, I remember those, those, those things that my dad ingrained in me. And I always, always had my hand out, opened the doors for as many people that I could to allow them to come into an organization. So, so those family values that were taught by my father and mother obviously helped me to become a dad myself. Okay. And become someone that my kids can look up to as their mentor. And my, my daughter, my daughter, Beth, whom, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. is a lot like me. She's taken up community advocacy. She's involved in organization. She's a member of the Latino commission on Hispanic Latino affairs, which you were on also as her Mm -hmm. colleague. And so she's a lot like me, you know, and, and, and I kind of treasure those memories and still look forward to our reunions as a family. Uh, We love our children to death and all of them have, have their uniqueness about themselves. And and that's so important. So that's just what I have. Yeah, I think those values, right? That you said is important, and it and it could extend it could extend to people outside your family, but certainly uh, those values of uh, you know being a person of integrity, love, care, support, uh, your family are important. What about you, Ruben? Yeah, there's 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 one event that's just cemented in my mind from from childhood when I was six years old. And then it manifested itself in an interaction, a recent interaction with my son, who's now 14. When I was six, 1976, we were living in Panama. But um, un jovencito. Jovencito. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> si, si. Um, but I remember it because that was the year Ford was running against Carter. Mm. And Ford uh, was the pro-military, pro-defense. Carter was running on making huge cuts to defense to deal with the the national economic crisis. Now, my dad was stationed in Panama Canal Zone, and he knew that that if Carter became president, uh, there could be repercussions. It could mean uh, cuts and it could mean being, uh, you know, retired out of the military and, and into civilian life. So he sat us down before the election at dinner. You know, we always watch the evening news, sat us down and explained to us why, even though he was a lifelong Republican, 
he was voting for Carter in the 76 election. And he told us about Nixon and Nixon's corruption, Nixon being forced to resign. And then he said how upset and angry he was when Ford pardoned Nixon. And he says that that no matter, you know, what, that, that there has to be something higher than, than party politics. There has to be morality, right and wrong. And Jimmy Carter, the man of God, he taught Sunday school. He, he's, you know, um, and so even though uh, it's in his own, it's against his own financial self-interest, he's going to vote for Carter. And that stuck with me my whole life. I'm a political theologian because of that dinnertime conversation, right? And my dad, who he and I always had knockdown, drag out political fights, uh, was, was a man of principle before he was a party man. And I love that about him. Well, last fall, my son um, has to do physical fitness for high school. You have to be on a varsity team of some kind. And the wrestling team was recruiting him. And I was like, oh, my son is tall, as tall as I am at age 14. He'd make a great wrestler. My son doesn't like sports. Um, and I was like, yeah, but the coach is recruiting you. I mean, this is, you know. And I realized I was my dad pushing me into boxing or pushing me and, you know, or throwing me into the deep end to learn to swim, right? <laughs> and so I took a step back and I said, you know, this isn't about me. This is about you. What do you want to do? My son joined the dance team. That's what he wanted to do. Oh, my goodness. That's he, wonderful. <laughs> he worked hard. He'd come home exhausted after practice every day. Um, did tap, hip hop. And he does Irish dancing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I, I, I suddenly realized I'm being my dad, muy macho, right? <laughs> and I was projecting that onto my son. And then I remembered, yeah, but my dad was flexible enough when the time, when, when Robert hit the road, you know, mm -hmm. and I need to do that. I need to step back and let him realize, uh, unless I'm going to be sending out a family letter saying, uh, when he's, and he's when considering he's joining else. the wrestling team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. Uh, to me, the fact that my dad, despite our, our stubborn fights and our, our budding egos over the years, taught me that that principle comes first, mm -hmm. and values come first, mm -hmm. and, and truth comes first, and and so it helped me realize, whoa, I'm kind of repeating some of the same mistakes here. I need to step back and. And approach it a different way and reconsider so i do like i don't think we hear that enough right like i think um there's value on maybe questioning the way we were parent or or like trying to be a better parent that we how of how we were parent uh parented parent mm -hmm. um but i do think that um so I, it's refreshing to hear, you know, even though maybe we didn't have perfect parents, perfect fathers, there are some values there that were so important for us to, um, you know, to carry on, to think, to, to, um, to hold dear to who we are too, right? Like the principles, the integrity, make sure that you're caring for your family, for, for the people that depend on you. Um, and I think that's also something that we should talk about um, a little bit more, right? In terms, especially, um, I know this is not the case for everybody, but I do, uh, I, I meet men that have 
parents and there's sort of like a cycle of like brokenness, right? Uh, Latino mm-hmm. parents, either mm-hmm. they're, they haven't been around or if they're around, you know, they're not really around <laughs> to parent the way like Henry dis- described, right? This partnership um, and in, in their own way, they're trying to become better parents, right? Even if they mm-hmm. fall short, they're That's still right. trying to break that cycle and be better. Um, so, so I want to, I want to just highlight that, that I, that I appreciate you talking about those values that are really key to helping us understand who we are and, and how we are to be right with other people. So Ruben, you have younger kids. One is in college, right? So yeah. you have, um, your son is 14? 14 and 19. And 19, okay. Yeah. And Henry, all of yours are grown and married. And you're also a grandfather. So you said you have 10 grandkids, is that right? Yes, yes, 10 right. grandkids. And then some of them are in college too. <laughs> uh, the first one graduated uh, two years ago. I have two more that are graduating uh, this year. I currently have... Uh, one, two, three in college, um, and I still have uh, uh, grandkids in 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 high school. Right, and one of, one of my one of my grandsons and I. I uh, first of all, I have three that are in sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was uh, going to Wittenberg. Um, he plays defensive tackle. He's a big guy, and the other one plays. Uh, um, uh, he's a wrestler, and he plays. He's in junior high school and the 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 main star of the three he's he's Beth's son Preston mm-hmm. he's uh he's a wide receiver who's already been recruited by University of Kentucky Ohio State's looking at him and he's going into the 11th grade um and so he always says to his his mama which we, what he calls his grandmother mama don't worry when when I make it to the NFL I'm going to take care of you you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And, um, and yeah, so we're hoping for Ohio state, obviously, because uh, yeah, yeah. your whole family is a bit, a big Buckeye fan. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beth, of course, you know, Beth works there at Ohio state. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, Henry and, and Ruben, tell me about how you see your role within the family and those young men that that might be around you, um, either students or your grandkids, uh, kids, friends, et cetera, what is your role in in this sort of group, right? As a family, but also yeah. No, as- Henry talked about marriage as a partnership, you know, division of labor. Um, in, in our family, even before we had the kids, you know, we we were married ten years before our daughter came along. Mm-hmm. And we always knew my wife was going to have problems conceiving. Mm-hmm. And we were already talking adoption when, when she came along. But one of the things that, that happened was when our daughter came along, I was still a graduate student. My wife was working full time at University of Memphis um, for a variety of reasons. She couldn't nurse. So we, we used formula from the get go. And then my wife has a history of problems sleeping. Like she's mm-hmm. working full time. If she wakes up in the middle of the night, she can't get back to sleep. She's exhausted the whole day. So mm-hmm. suddenly when I'm a grad student, she's working. I became the one who get up in the middle of the night 
take care of the baby, put her back to sleep. Um, so as, as the kids grew up and then the second one came along, you know, that was the, the, the kind of pattern. I was the person who, because I could fall asleep at the drop of, of a hat, I'd get up, took care of the kids, help them get back to sleep, go back to sleep, you know? <laughs> and then oh, over the years, um, you know, um, because of, of different work situations, we juggled back and forth. There came a point where I was the one working full time. Betsy was, 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 had to leave her, her position. Um, and then when I got tenured and she was still a contingent faculty trying to land a full-time job, then the hat switched again. I started doing more of the childcare, more of the housework. Mm -hmm. She focused on, on getting her book done. And, you know, and so we've just juggled that back and forth. My wife teaches Russian languages and literature. Mm -hmm. One of the, the, difficulties is she's not native born Russian. She's, she's an American. Um, she has to go abroad on a regular basis to keep mm -hmm. that fluency. Um, and so there have been several times over the history of our, of our marriage and our kids growing up where mommy has gone two, three months at a time. In 2018, she was gone for six months and I was home alone with the kids. That was tough. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we were able to then go visit her in Russia um, but it's just what we have to do, right? Mm -hmm. And and we've managed to do it. But but it's become a, a real blessing for the kids. Yeah, um, it was hard when mm -hmm. mommy was abroad, but they've been to Russia, Poland, um, England. Um, our kids have traveled a lot. You know, <laughs> France. Yeah. Um, and they've been to these amazing museums. I, when we were in Poland, um, I took them to all these famous cathedrals of, with medieval, you know, stations of the cross. And, you know, to, to the point that they were like, oh, not another church. right? <laughs> but, but, but it's been a, a real adventure. But it's also been a kind of a, a different way of parenting than our parents did. Um, right. Right. Uh, you know, we knew and we made it clear to them, mommy has to go away for work, but she doesn't want to be there. She wants to be here. And thank God for, for before Zoom, it was FaceTime, right? Mm -hmm. And every night we would, we would FaceTime. Um, and even through, I mean, I know you've parent even through really hard times of your son being. being my, my son is a cancer survivor. Yeah. And I think the lowest point, he was three years old. My wife had to had gotten a tenure track job at University of Missouri. It was her dream job, teaching undergrads and graduate students, and and she had to resign mm -hmm. because the doctor told us for the next two years your primary focus needs to be your son's care. Mm -hmm. I was tenured. I had protections from the Family Leave Act. She'd just been hired, and and the Family Leave Act does not protect you until you've been employed somewhere for a full year. Mm -hmm. And while University of Missouri was willing to give her a semester off we needed more time than that and personally she needed more time than that i was encouraging her this is your dream job we'll make it work we'll we'll commute we'll yeah. no she I, I think in the end i, made, I don't want to how's your son now he's 14 now and he's and how, how is how is he Oh, he's doing great. Um, you know, there are still some long-term side effects he's gonna be dealing with his whole life. 
but other than that, he's doing great. Good. Henry, how about you? Where, where, how do you see your role in, in the lives of your, your kids and your grandkids and their friends? Well, you know, I think I've always tried to teach my kids uh, being responsible adults, um, uh, treating people with respect, um, to also teach life skills beyond what they learn in school, sit down with them and show them how to balance a checkbook, how mm -hmm. to save money for retirement, if you will, uh, so they can do some of the things that we're doing. Um, being frugal, um, try to live within your means, um, making sure that if, if you can donate to an organization, um, pick a cause, a cause doesn't matter what cause but pick a cause something where you feel that not only you'll feel good about it but you're helping other folks along the way so I try to instill that upon the, our kids so that they can instill that same uh, philosophy uh, to their kids and mm -hmm. so that's the kind of thing that and I'm still involved in community uh, things and they see that they see that mm -hmm. Dad is out there helping big brothers, big sisters. I'm on the board of the American Red Cross trying <coughs> excuse me, increase the donation of blood from our Latino community. And I'll do a spiel right now. 60% <laughs> of Latino communities have the old blood, old, mm -hmm. the precious blood that can be saving lives uh, because it can be given to anyone without any medical complications. So if Latinos mm -hmm. start donating blood across our nation, we will save a lot of lives. And so I'm pushing that through the Red Cross and to have those blood drives try to get Latinos uh, and use Hispanic Heritage Month as a month where not only we can celebrate our culture and our heritage, but we can also show that we are magnanimous. We can uh, save lives by donating our blood. So that's, that's the other thing that I'm doing. Right. So, yeah. So there's a lot of leading by example on Henry's, you know, life and, and how the organizations gets involved in, and that sort of trickles down to how they see. Sometimes I, I, I think we don't have to have this sort of lessons, like big lessons, right, in our kids, but yep. it's like being showing by example, right? Um, I think a lot of that, those lessons are taught as our, our kids see us doing, right? Um, right. And then they, they do themselves. So, but we do know that, so you work, I know, Ruben, you work with students and, and, um, and probably people in your, in your church and Henry, similarly, you have so many, um, you know, community outreach events and, and people that, that, you know, and that know you, uh, and we, we do have sort of a, a shortage of Latino role models for young Latino men, right. That, that are, in our communities or in our schools. And I wonder um, how, have you thought about how we could meet this need? What are the things that, I mean, aside from the work that you do already, what are some things that we should think about when we think about serving our young Latino man? Well, I think one of the things that we ought to do, be doing more of is, is as those of us that have reach a certain level of responsibility within our com respective communities and education to go into the schools, to work with the schools and work with young people 
and show them that, you know, you can give back to your community, become mentors, become a tutor, uh, mm -hmm. you know, tutor someone, you learn it twice uh, because as you're teaching them that subject matter, you continue to absorb it and you learn it better. So mm -hmm. try to get mentors out in the community, work with big brothers and big sisters and big sisters as an organization is out there mentoring kids um, from the low income communities. And so that's that's important. I think it's just just there's so much out there that if our folks get involved, um, we can be examples uh, to our young people um, every day. And I think I think we there's we don't have to reinvent a wheel, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because mm -hmm. there's so many organizations out there doing good work uh, that we need to make sure that we expose our young people to those organizations and show them how to get involved with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I got to say, yeah, uh, tutoring, uh, education is so important. I, I mentioned that I did not have a Latino role model in education until mm -hmm. I was 29 in graduate school, right? Um, and that blows my mind. And then I look at, at, at I'm part of a very selective fraternity, namely uh, Latinos with PhDs in religion. Mm -hmm. And that number has not grown in the 20 some years I've been in academia. In 1999, there were roughly just under 4% of, of PhDs in religion and theology in the US were Latino. Today, that number is still right around 4%. Mm -hmm. The worst part is instead of being hired onto tenure track positions, they're, they're being hired as adjunct contingent faculty. That's very frustrating. Um, so one of the things I do is I'm trying to advocate for, for Latinos in education at all levels, because I one of the things that, that I oversee the program that certifies uh, religion instructors at the uh, Catholic schools in the area. And, and there just aren't that many male role models within the African-American community, within the Latino mm -hmm. community. And... Um, you know, I started tutoring kids when I was in college, um, and and it was often because of where I lived in the Hampton Roads area. It was often African American kids. Had I been there now, that demographic has changed, and there's a larger Latino population there now. Um, but but regardless, it's it's there are certain cultural reinforced stereotypes, and and. We need to 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 break those because there, there is no shame in an education. It's a source of pride. Right. I, one of the things that, that I have a student now who is a, a veteran from Afghanistan dealing with some PTSD issues, but started the master's program. We, we fully funded him so that finances won't be a problem, but, but the stress got to be too much. He withdrew from the program last spring, came back to us this fall says, I've worked some issues out. I really want to finish. Here's what I want to do with my degree. I went to the department chair, went to the dean. We were able to find the money somehow. We reinstated his, his I'm working on him to, to get his master's thesis completed. Um, he wants to go into a PhD program in preaching um, in the Black tradition, even though he's Latino, part Mexican-American, part Puerto Rican. Um, th th that's been the church home that he's found. And um, so, so it's been fascinating and interesting, but, but one of the things I've, I've had to do for this student is to um, help him realize that there's no one path to the goal you're trying to get at. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. You know, I spent five years as a parish pastor before I went back to do a PhD. Um, I've had, you know, even even before I got ordained, I've I've worked, um, you know, a ton of different jobs, and and you you kind of it all contributes. It's all part of the journey. You know, we we worry too much about the destination. Mm -hmm. We we forget to enjoy the journey, right? Yes. And and I told him, you know, I think that's you were putting stress on yourself that that wasn't there. We weren't putting it on you. Mm -hmm. We knew everything you're dealing with, and we told you you have up to five years to finish this master's degree. You don't have to do it in two, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And 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 it looks like we you know he's on track to graduate this May. So. He just needed someone to tell him, it, you know, I did it this way, but that's not the only way, mm -hmm. you know, I do. I do think that there is a lot of value on sharing our own stories, right? Sometimes um, our young people, men or women um, need to hear that, you know, our path to where we are, however they see us, right? It hasn't been straight or it doesn't have to be straight. Right. Um, uh, and so, you know, I often share with my students that, um, you know, I finished my undergraduate degree when I was 25 and then I had kids and I was in grad school, you know, so it had, it wasn't a traditional path. Right. And so the way to success or to achieve doesn't have to be just one way you could, it could look different in different ways right and right. so I I think I mean each of you right have had different journeys to accomplish what you have accomplished and um and that's valuable for our community but yeah I agree a hundred percent with mentoring at any level right mentoring our students in K through 12 college and then what you're doing Ruben also at the professional level right what are mm -hmm. we doing to advance our own our own um, Latino. Yeah, uh, and Manny, this, this particular student uh, went, uh, his BA was, was done online through our adult education program, right? So already his path was non-traditional. He's right. in classes with students that had just graduated after four years of college. And so he, he's older, mm -hmm. he feels out of place. And, I, and I've just had to completely reinforce that, you know, um, we're proud of what you've done. We mm -hmm. rewarded that with this scholarship because we know that that you this is the potential you have. And um, you know, it's 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 gotta be tough. I, I can't even begin to imagine. He had two close friends, fellow veterans, commit suicide in the last year. That's that's what pushed him to withdraw from the program. Um we 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 stress to our kids, uh or to kids, young people, uh the need for higher education, but we forget. That there's the trades there are that we need trades people um, started or started a junior college okay um, so that you know you get a feel for the educate for the uh, for the environment campus environment and from there you can always transfer on to a higher to a four year institution in higher education so that's the one thing the second point is one of the things I've been doing Ruben and, and Elena is working with veterans too. Uh, to try to get them Denver benefits. I struggled with the VA, uh, VA when I came out as a disabled veteran, having been wounded in Vietnam and struggling with an institution that while we served our country, 
were forgetting that we did that when we came home mm -hmm. and did help, whether it was PTSD uh, counseling or whether it's uh, assistance and whatever. I'm fortunate because I've been able to, since I retired, been able to work. I'm 100% disabled now because of conditions that I have and so forth. But because I work so much with the VA, I've been able to work with other individuals and help them get the benefits and help them say, hey, look, you know, the VA can pay for education for you and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to present people with your students, right, with all the options that they have. Um, and then have them help them choose what's best for them. Absolutely. So Ruben and, and Henry, what is one thing you would like our young Latino men to know? Maybe that's a what? hard question. One thing. <laughs> one, uh, oh my God. Well, I've mentioned a lot of stuff I, the, already. And, and one of the things is, is respect. Treat, treat people with respect. Try to help wherever you can. You know, we're all bleed. We when we bleed, we bleed red. Okay, we might have different appearances. We might have different shades of our skin, but we are all made by our Creator to serve, and um, we should remember that. And um, I think life and our environment would be much better if we can just be kind to people, embrace our our culture, embrace our identity, and continue to help others along the way. Yeah, that, that's, that's tough. Um, one of the things I've been frustrated with recently is, is maybe I'm getting old, but I've been having a, a tough time breaking through and reaching this younger generation, Gen Z, you know, mm -hmm. 17, 18, 19 year old. Um, Your kids. We just don't see the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just don't see the world the same way. And, and they have an amazing gift for kind of tuning us out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and when you're trying to communicate important kind of core truths right um and and so rather than than how should i put it you know i i i i almost wanted to just say I, i've lost it I, we don't speak the same language i you know i kept at it persevered and and i i began to discover whether it's my generation or or just my own psychological makeup, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like people know who I am, what I believe at all times. You know, I'm not neutral. I choose sides and then I act on it. I'm focused on social justice, on compassion, on, on you know. And it's not that these younger kids don't have the same ideals don't have the same sense of justice or compassion. Um, they, for a good number of reasons, don't trust as readily as I do. Mm -hmm. And so are not as optimistic. And maybe they're inheriting a world worse, world much worse than the one I got when I came of age. And that's a part of it. But um, I, I guess if, if I had to, to say anything is, you know, I've learned not to judge you by appearances. I'm asking you to do the same. Mm -hmm. Be patient with people. Dig a little deep. Get to know them. But in order to do that, you got to make yourself a little bit vulnerable. And that hurts. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be consequences sometimes. But the payoff is huge. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so much so that, that at the end of the semester, last semester, I had students 
who I thought I'd completely lost come up to me and write <laughs> wonderful messages at the end of the semester, even though in class, it was like I was staring at a wall <laughs> and they refused to participate. Stuff was sinking in and they were thinking about it. Mm -hmm. They just weren't ready to share it yet. Mm -hmm. So so I'm, I'm, if nothing else, they've taught me to be a bit more patient that, that I can't expect everyone to respond how I respond. I'm an outgoing person. Mm -hmm. um, but in the, in the meantime, I'm asking them to then do the same, which is um, what you see as arrogant and, over, and overbearing is actually just joy and hope and love. And that's how it manifests itself. I'm not going to judge you. Don't judge me. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Because I, I do, I, I think um, I have a similar experience than you, right? Where, where you are in the classroom and you're like, hmm, I wonder if they... <laughs> If I'm getting, if they them. even care, right? And, yeah, and you I, do, I and to think they were apathetic, and it's not. They're a little more. I don't know if reflective is the word, but they they absorb the things, and then they need time to process that information. Bueno, caballeros, oh. muchas gracias por esta conversación. Good to meet you, Henry and Elena. Muchas gracias, Elena, y por darnos la oportunidad de discutir contigo. Uh, Cómo ser un padre, cómo ser un, un padre de familia. Gracias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.